Uh, it is my turn to share my weird ass dreams. Oh yes. So when this is we're filming filming God we're recording this on Saturday, Wednesday night it was a fucking hot because it was randomly summer here this week. Yes. It's cold right now. Um, and so we had our windows open, but it was really hot. And then I was really stressed because we had a party at work that I was planning. And I don't know why, but I had the weirdest three dreams of my life. It always comes in threes. The first one, uh, this is all in one night, mind you. The first one, I was in the basement of my grandparents' church. Okay. We were having choir practice. Oh, this is the church. The church on the corner. Okay, yes. So we were having choir practice. And like at one point in my dream, I look around and it's not weird in my dream, but it's weird now. And everyone but me is wearing like a mass singer costume. <laughs> Were you dressed up as Jesus? <laughs> no, I was just me like in jeans and a t-shirt. <laughs> We're on these like risers in the church basement. And so we're having rehearsal and the choir director points to someone and is like, you need to do better on this solo. And so they take their mass singer helmet off. It's Beyonce. <laughs> First off, how dare that choir director? <laughs> uh, the second dream, on Thursday morning, we just my friends and I decided we didn't like the CrossFit workout. Yeah. And so we were skipping CrossFit and doing our own workout in the gym. And so we had decided that like, before I went to bed that we were still meeting at 530 mm -hmm. to do our workout. So in my dream, I accidentally slept till noon. Uh-oh. And I was supposed to be like at work doing stuff for this event. I was supposed to be meeting them at the gym. So in my dream, I flipped my phone over and I have all these angry messages from Gretchen that were like, how dare you skip our workout? Um, I'm never working out with you again. Don't even bother coming to CrossFit tomorrow because I won't be your partner. And so oh I sit like bolt upright in the bed. I'm like, did I set my alarm? Oh, fuck. And I flipped my phone over. And it's three o'clock in the morning. I was like, oh, we're good. We're good. I did, I did not sleep till noon. <laughs> then the last one, you know, <laughs> the last one's the best one. So you know, in a, in a dream, things are so real and make so much sense. Yes. It feels so real until you wake up. So in this dream, Zach and I lived in some kind of like workers village for some company we worked at. So we okay. had like a tiny house. Okay. And we were apparently getting divorced. So we started fighting and screaming at each other. And he was like, I'm going to get my own pod house. And so he moves. And then the whole dream, I'm like trying to go through a divorce. While we're fighting and like dating someone else. And I'm like, it's not my husband. I want my husband back. And so I go to his house to go talk to him. And we're like screaming and fighting, which please mind. We have never had it like an all out fight in our entire lives. Um, but it felt so real and felt like something that would happen. And he's like, I can't believe you just abandoned our child like this child. And like the camera pans over to a high chair and it's, <laughs> it's Grogu. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> this is oddly accurate though. That's what I love about this. It's oddly accurate. <laughs> this for three days <laughs> that's a good one that's 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 a good series of dreams <laughs> anyway i'm leah i'm by then and this is she will rock you where did they get in a dump in a cps executive meeting no bitch don't touch my thermostat <laughs> the ghost be like pull up before i haunt you let me turn down the thermostat who is this bad we're on page one, guys. <laughs> this is She Will Rock You.
This reminds me of another dream I had this week. It's a very short dream. There was a band in the dream and they were playing a song called Polygamous Ponies. (laughs) (laughs) It was a metal band, mind you. Of course. And and then the next song they played, they just pulled up Google searches and started reading different (laughs) search results. Screaming them rather. That I mean, that's that's a writing method right there. That's a free idea. Whichever band, <laughs> both ideas are available for polygamous ponies and Google autocomplete. Yes, just tag me when you do it. That's all I ask. We should probably talk about the biggest shout out of our life. Yeah, if you follow us on any social media, I guess. Yeah. You saw that we got a shout out from Apple Podcasts on April Fool's Day. We're very humbled and confused. <laughs> Don't really know how that happened, but thanks for the love, Apple Podcasts. And those who are listening on Apple Podcasts, because I'm assuming it's a bunch of you, because that's how they noticed us. And we're, we're on the music history <coughs> Yeah, we started. We, well, that's the the chart. The chart. Yeah, chart. thank you, thank you. So I don't know if you all just really loved the Paramore episode or what, but thanks. And there's, if you're new here, welcome. There's a lot of people out there that are like, I fucking love Paramore, uh, bitch. Y'all fucking love Paramore, <laughs> bitch. <laughs> you can listen to that episode to understand the context of that joke. Also, if you know me in real life and you're listening to this now, yeah, sorry, we're cursing a lot. <laughs> oh yeah, welcome. There, there's gonna be. There's actually a couple people at work that I talked about the podcast because it came up in conversation <laughs> and they're like I'm gonna follow it and I'm like get ready for a lot of fucks anytime something happens I'm like great now there's renewed interest in people I know in real life listening dude. to my side project dude <laughs> it freaks me out sometimes like I've gotten better of like it just kind of comes up naturally and I may bring it up but then they're like I'm gonna follow it and I'm like okay okay uh, hey if you know me in real life and you follow it I'm so happy to have you here just don't judge me based off of what you hear <laughs> We are not responsible for any actions of any individual we cover on this podcast. That's that's exactly right. Um, there's I kind of get it now because like um, who is it? Stephen Colbert said like he never let his kids watch the Colbert Report. That's probably a good idea because it's satire and there's a lot of cursing and they wouldn't understand. Yeah. So I kind of get it now. Yeah. <laughs> with with work relationships. Um, okay, let me pull up my outline. So this is not satire. This is. Real life. We have a live studio audience today. It's Rhodey and Mia. Mia, you got anything to say? Great, thanks. She just completely froze up. She's like, huh? I'm going to make one promise to this audience. I will not be doing any form of a Jamaican accent during this. That's Good. my That's my <laughs> promise. That's probably for the best. <laughs> As I was thinking about this, I was just like, man, do you remember that trend in the 2000s where it's like, the Rastafarian yes. uh, dreadlocks with the hat that yes. you can buy. And I'm like, you bought those from a mall kiosk. And I just went, probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> that was our like first, not even the first. That was just a great example of cultural appropriation. Yes. And then there would always be a phrase of like Jamaican mom, something yes. like that. And notice I said that, that in an American accent out of respect. You all had that kid in your high school and middle school that wore that hat and wore the yellow, green, and red tie-dye shirt on a regular dude, basis. Dude, so we bought one of those. and that <laughs> I didn't buy it. My brother did. First off, I did not wear the hat. There's no <laughs> of course, photography Of course your brother had the evidence. hat. <laughs> but my brother wore the hat. And we went to St. Croix because my uncle, my great uncle lived there and he had passed. And But now I... And, and uh, my great aunt Carmen was native to the island. And now I'm thinking, man, <laughs> I was fucked up. 
So if you want to cancel anyone, you can cancel my brother. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> he did write our theme music, though. So. He did write our theme music. Um, anyway. Uh, and he also deserves it after his April Fool's prank. Yeah. Right? Oh, I should. Co- I, I need to cover that's, that's this. That's the next episode. Stay tuned oh, for next episode. We're going to save that for the next episode because it is, it's probably one of the most epic April Fool's moments of my life. Okay. Anyway. Also, if you hear licking, it's Rody right next to my face. Yeah. They're loose. Josh is at the gym. It's a Saturday too. We don't normally We're record recording in the morning. It's light outside. Yeah. We're drinking Chick-fil-A, ice vanilla coffees because that's what we do. I also want to give full transparency because I didn't know much about regular Bob Marley, blah, 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 Bob Marley up to this point. Um, but I've always wondered the fascination with Bob Marley throughout culture. And is it like, is it his message of like one love? Is it the weed? Is it the weed? It might Which, be the weed. This is incredibly appropriate to cover in April. I think you were telling saying that. Yeah, like, it is 420 month. It is 420 month. Unfortunately, because I looked at the release schedule, we this don't is, have an episode come out in 420. But this so. will be out on 420 for your listening pleasure. Yes. Yes. If if you are listening to this on 420, welcome. Please send us a, a DM of you doing that. You have our permission to light up. Uh, but after a brief scan of wiki all in all he has what i would consider a quote normal career and considering we've covered a lot of batshit crazy careers you know a lot of abnormal careers a lot of abnormal careers i would i would put this in the category of pretty normal um you know he does album releases he does tours he smokes weed he smokes weed you know, not much to report on. But musically speaking, he sings about, you know, a number of topics, a lot dealing with his uh, faith in the Rastafari um, religion movement. Uh, but there has to be something else because I'm just like, what is it? Like, I need to latch on. I need to understand what is it. And so that is kind of the angle I'm approaching this. So, yeah, let's just get into it. Okay. First... Let's start where his story begins. Robert Nesta Marley was born in Nine Mile, St. Anne, Paris, Jamaica on February 6, 1945. His dad was supposedly a captain in the Royal Marines in the UK. And he like moved to Jamaica to oversee a plantation. Okay. And his mom, Marley's mom, um, was on that plantation as a worker. And she was 18 at the time. Okay. Why is this important? Because he's 60. He's 60. Mm. He has this guy. We don't know much about him, but we do have a knowledge that the guy would wed very younger women. Gross. They would have a baby and he's like, bye. You know what I'm saying? That is the consequence of your actions, sir. That's exactly right. So anyway, he would like send money and such, but they like, seldom ever saw him um but growing up in jamaica uh bob was considered a bit of an outcast because he was both black and white so like the jamaican people are like oh you're you you know he didn't really get embraced you can't fully. sit with us yeah you can't sit with us mentality but he did however read palms up till the age of seven who who trains a six-year-old how to read palms he taught himself 
that's freaky so take that bullies so like he literally here's here's a supposed story i don't know if it's folklore i don't know if it's true there's like various reports but supposedly up to the age of seven marley could read palms so accurately and predict futures and then one day when he's seven he comes and he says nope i'm supposed to be a singer and then closes up shop he's like no more palms that's it show's over i'm a singer and I'm, he refused to do it that's kind of the same energy as like when little kids can see ghosts but dude like, right adults can't like say, those stories freak me out you'll see like through this outline he has like a weird sixth sense through his whole life like a weird psychic mystic connection Ooh. that's interesting um anyway so now growing up in Nine Mile, he became friends with someone called Neville Livingston, which he would later be called Bunny Whaler. And if you watch the documentary Marley from 2012, I base a good chunk of this outline off of it. Bunny Whaler is interviewed. He has since passed away, but he's a funny guy. I really like him. Like he has a good energy about him. He's he's funny. Um, so Marley and his mom, like him and Bunny, they became really good friends they were playing music together starting at a very young age and him and his mom moved to Trenchtown in Kingston but him and his Marley's mom and Bunny's dad get together and have a sis have a daughter Aww. so now Bunny and Bob they're are step now siblings yeah there's no step siblings That's cute. I think it's really cute um so now they're living together and they're doing music and they would listen to like R&B and ska and all that kind of stuff. Um, Trenchtown was a hard place to live, according to Bob. But Bunny Whaler in the documentary said Marley, um, his guitar was his way out of the hard places. So I think like much of his teenage life, like he was going through these hard places. He was in school and he just like, once again, this kind of driving him. He was like, I'm going to quit school and play music. And so that's what he did. He tried to become a solo artist, wrote some songs. They didn't really go anywhere. So he kind of looks a little bit at the times looking at American culture and he goes, hmm, looks like a lot of like groups is the way to go. Because this is the time of the 60s. You got the Temptations, all those other ones. Um, I can't think of at the time. So he forms a group. He grabs money. They grab a friend called Peter Tosh and they form a music harmony group. At first, they, were, they went by the juveniles, then they went by Wailing Rude Boys, and then they finally went by the Whalers. And that name comes from, and it's kind of sad, because they say they came from a place where there was a lot of whaling. Like, that just about the hard place that they came from. Um, now, as they began to play together, the group was discovered by another musician named Joe Higgs, and he was very instrumental in helping craft the Whalers' sound. He became, like, their pseudo-manager, and like kind of was giving the boys advice but he kind of told him like the boys would keep coming it was like yeah we're ready to play shows he's like nope you're not ready two years he had that conversation with them so they were like in rehearsal for two years well they should be rehearsed well they're probably like 14 or 15 at that time so probably for the best probably for the best and he also suggested this is hardcore um he also suggested the boys you need to conquer your stage fright before you start you know performing in front of thousands of people so he told them go to a cemetery at 2 a.m and play for the spirits there so you conquer your stage fright and that's what they did and it worked um 
their first hit was Simmer Down in 1964. It was a pretty big hit in Jamaica at the time. It led to the release of their album called The Wailing Whalers, which sounds like a like hockey team. The Wailing Whalers. The yes. logo's a whale. I think like uh, the Carolina Canes, I think their minor league team is a whale, if I recall correctly. Anyway, um, the album was a combo of their songs and covers from other 60s boy group bands at the time in America. Now, I think this is interesting with Jamaica at the time because I was watching this documentary and they really talked about what was happening in Jamaica. So in 1962... This is the path to getting to reggae. Uh, there was a Jamaican independence that I think British, like they were no longer with the British. Sounds right. Um, that's what I always assume anyway. Uh, Jamaica. <laughs> if it was owned by another country, it's it probably, probably Britain. <laughs> um, Jamaica wanted music that represented them. And so it was first reggae it was the creation of reggae but it was kind of beta was ska and ska encapsulated traditional jamaican music and was trying to be the opposite of what other countries were playing so they like purposely didn't want to do what america was doing they didn't want to just like take american music and make it their own yeah you know what i'm saying same with britain same applies and that's what other countries would do and that's understandable because that's the most commercialized music but they said, no, we want to do something different. We want something that's uniquely Jamaican. So they had ska elements with that traditional Jamaican music. And then they would do something where they would play beats on the off beats. So add that, dun, 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 mm-hmm. you know, that, that ska noise, you kind of hear it. And that's what gives it its signature sound. So these songs that were coming out in the 60s, they were kind of post doo-wop time, you know. So imagine them slow down a little bit, those unique Jamaican harmonies, and then they're just on that offbeat. So it just changes the song. So that's what they would do on the Wailing Whalers. It's really cool. Like, I like that they were like, yeah, sure, we'll play that, but we're going to play it our way. So reggae is to ska what K-pop is to real pop? You don't need to just... (laughs) You don't need to just bring that kind of energy in this outline, okay? Did you see the moment I had that revelation? I did. I saw something change in your eyes and I was wondering what stupid shit was going to come out next. Uh, so, Am I wrong? We're just going to move on from that point. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, anyway. Um, so the how do we arrive at that quintessential reggae sound? So in this documentary, they were talking a little bit of like that timeline, so to speak. And it really comes from how the guitar is strummed. That's what makes it different um, because it's like this specific like kind of noise. Um, you probably already know it in your head. Um, it's also slowed down. It focuses more on drums and bass to have their moments. That's kind of the backbone of all of it. Um, another element to the reggae sound, I would argue, especially for Bob, was his religion. So it starts with Rastafari religion, which is, believe it or not, an offshoot of Christianity, which I didn't know. Me neither. It's actually very interesting because I, of course, went on the wiki rabbit hole for this. So according to Rasta teachings, a lot of the Bible takes place in Africa, which I have heard that argument before. There is, I will say, 
some art, uh, not archaeology, anthropology information linking to that. So they may be onto something. Um, but that also includes the Garden of Eden, which I could totally understand. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, but they believe that the reincarnation of Jesus Christ was the emperor of Ethiopia His uh, from the 1930s. His name was Haile Selassie. Um, something with like in the Bible, it says that the reincarnation of Jesus, like the second coming, will be from the house of Solomon, David. And that's what this guy, he was in the Solomonic line. Okay. So Jesus may have already came and we were just late to the party. <laughs> but so it's an inter- interesting thought. We were too busy uh, colonizing. Yeah, we were just like, <laughs> we just said, what's that, Ethiopia? Check on the <laughs> we on that okay, cool. uh, uh, on the list. Thank Next. you. Anyway, um, please ignore our colonizer jokes. We're just traumatized as much <laughs> as you guys are. Um, so at 19 years old, like right around there, Bob made his conversion from Catholicism to Rastafari and was a devout the rest of his life. And it would just be the concept of numerous of his songs. There's also a very big teaching in their religion of just, um, peace and love and unity is very big they're also a political movement at the same time so that is also where it's rooted this is also where he is known for his marijuana consumption or ganja as they call it in the religion and it is actually a sacred herb in the rastafari religion they believe that when you smoke the herb um i think marley is quote like the herb reveals itself to you like it's part of their meditation process because they believe it unlocks that side of your spirit interesting yeah so, um, also another important part of Rastafari, Rastafari religion is dreadlocks, which is another sacred element. Um, so in 1966, Bob meets, probably a little bit prior, um, Bob meets a woman named Rita, Mar- Rita. They get married. Um, he's 21 at the time. And then I think he, just him, I don't think she was with him. He moves to Wilmington, Delaware for a little bit because his mom had moved there a few years prior. So he went and worked like night shifts, uh, making some money. And then he returned to Jamaica and he started working really hard to get like Whaler's music where he believed it would be. So first the band formed their own record label called Whale in Sound. Um, I think eventually it would turn into Tough Gong, um, which I do know they did start Tough Gong pretty sure that's where the transition came from um and from like 1968 to 1972 the group is just working on coining this signature sound they're traveling to jamaica u.s and the uk um they released their second album in 1970 which was like i think the first time they released the other album was 1965 this album is called soul rebels it was the first time it was released outside of jamaica Hmm. in 1972 bob and the whalers i'm pretty sure the whalers were with them had moved to london bob considers london a second home because his dad was there i think it was also around this time that bob realized um he had a he had a stepsister from good old dad Mm. and they found that this is actually interesting rita was dropping off some laundry at a laundromat and the person had the last name marley and then they made the connection that they had the that Bob and her had the same dad. 
So he's probably uh, if that's a habit of his, he's probably got a lot of step siblings running around. You know, this is very interesting because we're going to get into something about Bob's amount of children. Mm. It's a it's a family tree element is the way I kind of see it. Um, but anyway, so he's in London. The group signs with CBS Records originally, but they quickly switch over to Island Records after meeting with Chris Blackwell, the record label owner. When Chris met Bob, he thought he could be like the next Jimi Hendrix. Like there is just this thing about him. So he gave the group 4,000 pounds in advance. The group uses that money to get to Jamaica. And Chris was like, I may never see him again. (laughs) The the group were very faithful and they recorded another album called Catch a Fire. And Catch a Fire had a worldwide release. It was a critical hit, but it took a while to get into that commercial zone. Um, however, the album started putting Bob particularly on the map in the industry. They were touring, didn't sell a lot of tickets, but it didn't matter because, look, they already played for ghosts. So like playing for a hundred living people. What's playing for living people at that point? Yeah, you know what I mean? Whatever. Um, but I believe it was on that tour. I love this story. Um Along with music, Bob was a huge football player. Like, he loved playing football. I think he, like, played it almost every single afternoon. Like, that was his thing. And one day on this tour, the group went to go play football. And they go outside, and it's snowing. Well, they had never seen snow. And they pretty much were, like, didn't know how to react. And they took it as a sign. Maybe we need to go home to Jamaica. And the tour collapsed anyway, and they went home. So, like... I think that's cute. I feel uh, the same way about snow guys. This is actually the New York to Florida pipeline. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. New York residents, they see enough snow and they're just like, you see snow and you go, all right, hmm, peace. I should move south. I'm going to head out. Yeah. This <laughs> so, is too much. Yeah. That's, that's the pipeline there. Um, I'm going to also place this story here because I believed this happened right around this time. So during the interviews in the UK, they're recording an album called Burnin, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Bob, Chris Blackwell, and this British reporter sat on the roof of the studio. The interviewer did not do his research and was asking, as Chris said, pretty stupid questions. <laughs> so Bob goes to end the interview, and he does it in the best way I've ever seen. Bob is, of course, smoking a joint. He passes it to the interviewer. The interviewer thinks it's a rolled cigarette. Oh, no. <laughs> And takes a hit. Well, within minutes, he's just gibbering and his eyes are glazed. And well, interview is over. That's amazing. It's incredible. How did the reporter not smell it? That's on him. That he was asking stupid questions. <laughs> I mean, um, so the next album released um, a year later was Burning. Like I was saying, hits were I Shot the Sheriff, which Eric Clapton would cover and Get Up and Stand Up. This is the album that really propelled them. Um, the album certified gold and has since been inducted into the Library of Congress for cultural preservation. This album was also very political and progressive for the time. So Get Up and Stand Up was, of course, about standing up for your rights. I Shot the Sheriff was about justice. Um, interesting tidbit about that song, Justice, when it was being recorded, uh, the way that it's pronounced in the song is I shot the sheriff, but I did not shot no deputy. And Chris would come in and say, like, no, that's not proper English. Let me teach you 
how no. to actually say this and then he stopped and he's like because bob was completely ignoring him and he's like oh <laughs> <laughs> never mind what i like about this album is these guys actually have something to sing about like they i'm always fascinated by music from people who come from really hard places because mm-hmm. i think it just brings they translate that into the music and it adds this richness to it and that's what this album feels like to me it's just you know these guys they wrote um someone gave them advice i don't remember who but to write what they observe so they're observing you know where they grew up and what they were doing and all this leads to a call for better life for peace and love and unity so i think that's really powerful uh for this tour they played with sly and the family stone another pretty justice oriented band they got kicked off after four shows because they were getting more popular than them. It happens. It, it does happen. It does happen. Shortly after this, the original group, unfortunately, the Whalers, would disband because they had gone to pursue solo careers. Um, Buddy also did not like seeing snow, so he wanted to go back to Jamaica. I don't blame him. Yeah. Once again, the New York, Florida pipeline. Um, but they all, you know, they all remain friends. They all released music under Tough Gong. But Bob would continue to use the Whalers name. He just changed it to Bob Marley and the Whalers. And then he would go during this transition and build new musicians for the act. This also included three female singers in this group called I3. Rita Marley was one of those people. So, you know, husband and wife get to tour together. It's kind of nice. Speaking of Rita, here's what when I go back to family trees and generation whatever you want to call them. Um, so Rita and Bob have three kids together, including Siggy Marley. Mm-hmm. Um, Bob also adopted two of Rita's kids from a previous relationship. Then Bob had six other kids <laughs> with six other women. Yeah. Uh, that's the ones they know of. So Does there may be more. Someone On record, there are 13 kids we know about. Someone uh, put that DNA into the 23andMe database. I would not be surprised if we found more. You know what I mean? Yeah. In the next coming. uh, But Rita was hurt by this, obviously. Rightfully so. But, and I don't agree with this personally. um, She said they're serving a higher purpose. So she kind of let it slide. I don't agree with that at all. No. But that's just my two cents. Anyway. So in 1975 is when Marley hit his international success with the song No Woman No Cry. Um, you may think that means if there's no women, there's no crying. <laughs> but of course, our Western mind <laughs> translates it to that. It's actually um, translated to women don't cry. So it's about what's happening around them and just like, you know, the women crying, but it's like, don't cry. There's going to be a better time. Mm-hmm. There's going to be better. He always puts very positive messages yeah. in his songs. Um, the version that went global was actually the live version of it. Shortly after this, his album Rastaman Vibes released in 1976 was his breakthrough album. There was also some crazy political shit that was happening in Jamaica right at 1976. Um, so pretty much they were having this big political upheaval where the civilians, not the government, the civilians were dividing the country between right and left. So I think the, the the right party was called PMP. The left party was called JLP. 
and like marking territories like with spray paint like do not come in this area the fuck yeah no it was it was really bad like to the point where there was like they would have their own militant armies that they created shoot like shootouts the whole nine yards don't like that it's really bad so we're gonna fast forward to i think this is 1978 when this happens but the prime minister decides let's let's put on a free concert to really get people like united here so it's called smile jamaica and two days before that concert there was an assassination attempt on bob shit a bullet grazed his chest went into his arm so he survived rita got shot in the head and and miraculously survived what the fuck his manager also got shot and survived. Everyone survived. It is so weird. And you know what? Those ghosts that they put those free concerts on. Him and Rita played that concert two days later. Those ghosts watched out for them. They were like, hey, man, you played for us at the beginning of your career. We got you. We got you. Well, for them, um, they believe that God, which to them is Jah, is how they pronounce it, protected them. And, you know, it's a compelling point at this point. I mean, the facts are there. That's compelling. <laughs> So, but yeah, crazy. They survived. Badass moves also get on the stage two days later and say a gunshot wound in your head. Literally, you missed. (laughs) He didn't say that. That's what I I lived, bitches. I lived, bitch. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, but after that event, he felt really hurt. Uh, Yeah, like tried to kill you. Jamaica is his people. He loves Jamaica. Like that is his home and he felt like kind of betrayed and so he went to this self-imposed exile to london for two years um so remember when i told you there's just something about bob this is kind of where it starts coming ahead because like i said i think he had this weird mystic psychic who knows it could be some scientific base i have no clue but he was very self-aware of himself and he always felt strongly like he had a purpose like i said all songs were based on what he was observing i would argue it wasn't just physical world for him but it was spiritual world Mm. for him as well and he believed that everyone was connected one heart the song one love and that message of peace love and unity was easily translatable across anything you believe um, with that said, in 1977, um, he was playing football and he injures his toe. And not to be gross, but his like big toenail came right off. But it wasn't healing. So he would go to the doctor and they said, well, they discovered he had melanoma, which is a type of cancer. Uh, originally, they suggested to like amputate the toe. Some stories say to amputate the leg. But he wouldn't be able to dance, so he's like, absolutely fucking not. Um, and said he went to a doctor in Miami. He said, well, we can just amputate a portion, and you'll be good. So that's what they did. But after this, he continued to perform and write and came out with these like really profound and spiritual works. Uh, the album Exodus came out, which was about him being exiled and kind of playing with that. It was number one in Jamaica, top 20 hit in the UK. Um, it's also... In hindsight, in 1999, Times called it like the album of the mm. 20th century, and it's number 71 
on the Billboard 500 list. Um, I'm sorry, 500 Greatest Albums of All Time by Rolling Stone. But in 1978, after that imposed exile, Bob moves back to Jamaica and performs a concert called One Love Peace Concert, which while Bob was out of country, it did not get better in Jamaica. Hmm. It kept being bad. In fact, it got worse. So during the show, Bob is performing and he does like one of the craziest things probably to happen on stage during a political upheaval. He invites both leaders of the left and right to come up on stage and tell him to shake hands. Shit. And then he grabs like they're shaking hands. Like he grabs it with one of his hands and lifts them up. Starts talking about peace and unity and love. And I just think about that. And I was just like watching that. He was thinking like how everything's going to be all right. And I was just like, no, it was a huge moment for Jamaica, but it's Bob's life like was just for that moment. I kind of get why he felt like he had a purpose. Yeah. A calling that needed to be answered. So for the next couple of years, Bob is touring, writes a few more albums, but his cancer continues. And, um, but yeah, despite his cancer, he is just, which not a lot of people knew about, like, not at all. So he continued to live this full life, play football. His tour life started going nuts. He went from playing, you know, a show with a couple hundred and a couple thousand to 40,000 venues, 100,000 seat venues. Um, he also becomes a significant icon by the end of the 70s. Um, also, when he would travel, the police would follow him. I can imagine. <laughs> And they would search his like tour bus and they would find nothing but yet you know this man is smoking every single day that's some respect also fucked up because it's part of his religion yeah i, I don't agree you shouldn't be arresting people it was the 70s yeah whatever anyway um but in one interview a journalist asks bob if he was a rich man and bob replies when you say rich what do you mean and the journalist replies, a lot of possessions, a lot of money in the bank. And Bob replies, possessions make you rich. I don't have that type of richness. My richness is life Aww. forever. So going back to, it's 1981. And he does release a couple albums after Exodus. There's Kaya, Survival. There's another one I can't think of right now. Well, two others. One was released post ominously. But like, he... I think knew there is a clock. Mm -hmm. So he was getting out as much as he can. And there's this one album and I'm mad. I don't have it written down. It's this album with, for those who know Bob Marley, he has like a mountain he's lifting up. He writes a song called redemption song. And a lot of people consider that his last will and testament where he's just writing. It's like a magnum opus. He's like writing out basically telling his life and how we need to just strive for love and peace and things like that which is just really pretty mm -hmm. it was beautiful. Um, so in 1981, the cancer had gotten so bad, they had to cancel his tour and tried to make his way home to Jamaica to spend his last days. He passed away in Miami in, on Aww. May 11th, 1981. His last words were to his son, Ziggy, which he said, quote, on your way up, take me up. On your way down, don't let me down. Yeah. So Bob Mar Marley in his very short time, because he died when he was 36, released Damn. i know i know why do i always picture him older because we grew up just seeing him yeah he just feels so much older yeah well when he was at the end like you could see the cancer 
wane you know you, you know how like people go through things and ages them quickly yeah that's what happened to him um but he had released 13 albums and two live albums he also has made a lot of money post hominously through record sales weed sales merch sales all of it like he is one he's on a list of the highest making dead celebrities i believe like they just build things around him i mean yeah it's not hard to believe and going on the marijuana here's an interesting about thing about pop culture uh the first thing i would tell you before i research bob marley is the imagery of like bob marley smiling right that that's 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 exactly right. right here the red yellow and green and then someone would go in and edit like some smoke around it or something like that marijuana leaf thrown in there and I'm not going to lie to you guys. That's probably going to be the new, <laughs> the new episode graphic because I got to get you fuckers pulled in somehow. That's exactly right. <laughs> that That's what the graphic is going to be, just to let you know. Um, but he's so much more than that. And I'm glad I had a chance to really get to know who he is through this research. Like, make no mistake, the dude was a serial cheater. <laughs> I made excuses for it, which I am not down for. And Rita should have not been made to feel the way she did to just accept it because they're serving a higher power people in churches and religion make this concession all the time stop it it's annoying as fuck knock it off uh but bob can be credited to sowing like political dissonance through peace and love which i think is really powerful when people can tap into that um yes ganja and weed was an important part of his life and his religion too but he's so much more than that. And he was just putting these really good messages out into the world. And whether you agree with his religion or not, he chose to hold up love for his legacy. And I think that's pretty cool. Thanks for listening. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, or wherever you listen to our show. Special thanks to Death of Fawn for our intro riff. You can visit our website, shiwaraki.com. There you'll find links to our socials, show notes, ways to contact us, and a link to our merch. And remember, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. Unless it's part of your religion. That's fine.